0: Psalm 16, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord, apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Good morning again.
1: Uh, It really is a joy and privilege to be with you today. Uh, Elizabeth and myself look forward to come here and to share fellowship amongst you. Uh, We enjoy the warmth of the fellowship. We enjoy the service, um, our praying. Uh, Praise God for this blessed congregation that I have a privilege to share fellowship with today. And not just today, but in a few weeks' time. Um, I'm actually starting a a five-week series in the book of Revelation We're just going to get up to the first uh, three chapters Uh, and of course it's a little selective. So I thought before I preach today I might just give you a little bit of a a heads up uh, about this series. The first thing I want you to know is that I'm praying for you uh, as I pray for myself. Uh, And I pray my prayer that through this series uh, the Lord Jesus will graciously give to us a deeper knowledge of his glory and majesty. I'm praying that as we see that vision of Christ expand, the Lord will deepen our faith, you know that that certainty of things unseen and the surety of things hoped for, and that Christ, as our faith deepens, will continue to produce that bumper harvest of righteousness, love, and godliness within us. That's been my that's my prayer for us through this series, and I'll keep praying that. Um, a couple of other points. Um, I don't have very many original thoughts. So uh, much of what I'm bringing to you, I've learned from others, particularly Don Carson and John Stott. They're great commentators on this part of Scripture, so I'm indebted to them. Uh, And lastly, I don't have the ability to expound everything in all the passages I'm bringing to you, but I'm going to bring to you what I think I can in the time frame I have um, so that I pray we may be built up in our faith in the Lord. We're going to read Revelation Chapter 1, uh, verses 9 to 20. That's Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because, the, because of the word of the Lord and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll that which you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool and white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire his feet were like a bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was a sound of rushing waters in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance when i saw him i fell at his feet as though dead Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And this is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let me pray. Our wonderful and mighty Heavenly Father, glorious Son, Lord Jesus Christ, and beautiful Holy Spirit, we come to you as our one true God today. Uh, Father, we confess that we are utterly weak, always in danger, and truly rest in your Son this morning. Lord Jesus, would you have mercy upon us? Lord, may each of us be the good soil, that this word, this seed, will be planted deep in our hearts. May the Holy Spirit give us understanding. May we believe this word, taking it to heart. And Father, may you send forth the Spirit that you would produce in us your promised harvest, of righteousness, holiness and godliness. Father, in your mercy, may none of us leave this time without knowing your blessing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Open Doors is a ministry that serves the persecuted church. They report that in North Korea, if the government discovers that you are a Christian, you and your family are either sent to a, co- a, um, a labour camp or you're killed. In Somalia, if you're suspected of being a a Christian convert, your life will be watched very carefully. Church life, as we know, even this Sunday, is simply not possible. Uh, The few believers who are there have to meet in secret. There are several countries in the Middle East where it is illegal to convert from Islam to Christianity. Christian converts are at great risk of being killed by their families, their clans and their their tribes. What does the suffering and persecuted church need most at this time? It is predicted that within 15 years, China will become the world's most Christian nation. Darrell Ireland, he's a Boston University School of Theology research professor, and he estimates that the Christian community staggering has grown from one million Christians to a hundred million. What does the growing church need most in times of revival? Well, unlike China, the church in the West, including in Australia, is in decline. Not only numerically, but theologically and morally. I think it's fair to say that worldliness pride and unbelief has infected the Western church to such an extent that many have become utterly blind to the reality of their spiritual indifference. And that includes, sadly, many recognised and gifted Christian leaders. What does the declining church in the West, in Australia, need most at this time? Well, according to the revelation that God gave to the Apostle John, the persecuted church, the growing church and the church in decline all need one and the same thing, an ever-deepening vision of the exalted and glorified Christ. It's not for nothing that after John is given the command by God to write down what he sees, the very first vision that God reveals to John is that of the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. He was not given the vision of the seven bowls of wrath, nor a vision of the, you know the New Jerusalem coming down to the New Earth or the final judgment. He wasn't given the vision of a second coming of Christ, not in the first instance. Now he was given an awesome and utterly extraordinary vision of the risen, of the exalted, of a glorified son of God and what this alone is telling us is that the seven churches whom john is about to send letters to individually needed this vision of the exalted christ as of first importance now of course the church also needs a vision of a glory of the new heavens and a new earth and the coming judgment and so on and god will bring that to the churches but what they And every church in every generation, whether persecuted, growing or in decline, needs to know, as of first importance, is the glorified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason being is that God's saving work is not only centred in Christ, but it's impossible outside of Christ. In your salvation, God does not work outside of his precious and holy son. There is a direct correlation between your growth in the knowledge of Christ and your growth in your faith in Christ. Little knowledge of Jesus will result in little faith in Jesus and little faith in Jesus will bear little fruit. My sisters and brothers this morning, I urge you, please consider today your need to come to know more deeply the glory and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I say that, what I mean is not only the glory of his past finished work upon the cross, and which we thank God for, but the wonder and the power of his continuing ministry in heaven. See, this is precisely the vision that God gives to John and indeed to us in these verses. What we have revealed before us is an extraordinary vision of Christ's ongoing heavenly ministry. In verse 9 we read that the Apostle John, who himself is suffering persecution, is in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now that may mean he's praying. I think more likely it's like Ezekiel He's been transported to a world of prophetic vision by God to bring a message to his people. Whatever it means, we know one thing. In this spiritual state, he hears a voice like a trumpet. Now, the significance of a voice being loud is this. The loud voice indicates that what John is hearing cannot be misinterpreted as something that is in his imagination. This is not something that John has misheard. It was loud. It was like a trumpet. And there's no doubt this has to take us back to Exodus 19 when Moses met God on Mount Sinai because a trumpet blast preceded God's revelation to Moses. Here in Revelation, once again, a voice like a trumpet precedes the revelation of God to his people. And look what God says. Look at verses 12 to 13. Follow with me. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest we are told that John sees the Lord Jesus Christ in a glorified state, walking amongst seven lampstands. In verse 20, Jesus tells John that the lampstands are symbolic of the seven churches, and they are the seven churches he's about to directly address, that Jesus will directly address. Now, at this point, a word of explanation might be helpful. One thing we find in the book of Revelation is symbolism. It is full of symbolism. The number seven, which, by the way, is mentioned 36 times, is used to symbolise completeness or wholeness. I'll give you an example. In chapter 16, the seven bowls of wrath symbolises God's final and complete wrath upon the world. Right? So in verse 20, the seven churches not only refers to to the seven churches in John's time, but it's the complete or the whole church through all time, right? Including us gathered here this morning. That that has a profound implication because what this means is that this vision of Christ is given to us here as of first importance for our lives. The significance of Jesus walking amongst the lampstands is breathtaking. What we have been told is that while the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, and no doubt, as we, told, as we told in Matthew 28, all the authority and power of the entire universe is now mediated through Christ. While the Son of God is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, he's not distant from his church. Christ is not distant from you. In fact... He walks amongst us. Just because Christ reigns in exalted glory doesn't mean he's deserted you. On the contrary, he dwells amongst us and indeed by his spirit within us, which means that he sees and knows what's going on in his church. He knows when his church is being persecuted and needs comforting. He knows when his church is growing and needs humility. He knows when his church is is disobedient and needs rebuking because he walks amongst us. I reckon that this part of a vision alone ought to have a profound effect upon how you view Christ's care and love for his beloved church. It does for me. So often, uh, the church corporally and us individually, me included, Make the mistake of judging God by our circumstances and not by his word. So, for example, when people are dying for their faith or the church is being squeezed by the government of the day or we ourselves in our weaknesses are facing severe temptation and, and trials, we can be tempted to judge God not by his word but by what we're feeling. And at that time, we begin to doubt God's love, his power, his care, his provision. In fact, this is exactly what happened in the time of Moses. Do you remember when God redeemed his people from Egypt and he gave them manna from heaven? What happened as soon as water ran out? Instead of believing that God will keep his word and provide for them, they judged God by how they felt. And in fact, in Exodus chapter 17, the Israelites mock God. They say, is the Lord among us or not? Here's the answer. Yes, the Lord is amongst us more than this. He walks amongst us. But what this also means, he knows what's going on in the church. See, we can hide things from one another, but we can't hide anything from a one who's Eyes blaze like fire. Uh, don't hear me wrong here. Uh, this isn't a vision of Christ being like a cranky school teacher going round, you know, in exam time, wandering round the room, looking suspiciously at who might be doing what's wrong. Not at all. This is not the vision we see here. In fact, it's quite the opposite. John not only gives a vision of a Lord Jesus Christ amongst us, which ought to encourage us. But the vision he gives us here is that the Son of God is ministering in heaven on our behalf. We read in verse 13 that the exalted Christ is like a son of man who's clothed in a long robe and a sash, a golden sash. It's right at this point in Revelation we come across something that is very common. There's these direct allusions to the Old Testament. Do you remember in the Old Testament the long robe and the sash, they are the garments of the priest? Right? Exodus 28, God gives to Moses a command to dress Aaron in a long robe and a sash. Now, now it's extraordinary because now we find in Revelation that the glorified Christ is wearing both. How come? It's very hard for me to put the significance into words this morning, but I'm going to do my best. The best way I can explain the significance of Christ wearing the clothes of a priest is to take you to the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, what the writer does, he expounds Christ's finished earthly work, he's made purification for sins, and then he expounds Christ's continuing heavenly ministry, that is, he was exalted to the right hand of the Father. And in chapter 7 to 10... We have this vision in Hebrews of Christ's eternal priesthood. So, for example, in chapter 7 of Hebrews, we're told that the Lord Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Right? That is, like Melchizedek, Christ has no beginning and no end. So, unlike the Old Testament priests, the Lord Jesus lives in the power of an indestructible life. Then in chapters 8 and 9 of Hebrews, we're told that as our eternal high priest who lives in the power of an everlasting life, he's ministering in heaven on our behalf before the Father. In fact, the words of the writer of Hebrews is this, he's always interceding for us. Do you realise that the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven right now is making real for you all that he achieved for his work upon the cross? In particular, is mediating into your life the fulfilment of a new covenant promises. The promise of making your heart tender so that you would love God and not sin. The promise of writing his law upon your heart so that you'll now think of righteousness and holiness and not evil and ungodliness. The promise that he would remove from the presence of a father our sin And all our evil, so that not only will our sin and evil be forgiven, but incredibly remembered no more. And he is mediating into our lives a magnificent promise that his presence, God's presence, will dwell dwell in us and we with him. How extraordinary. There is the Son of God, your priest, ministering into your life all that he achieved through his life, death and resurrection upon the earth. Friends, the peace that comes from our sins removed from the presence of a father, there's nothing like it. And the joy, the joy that comes from his presence dwelling in us, they are unmatched. Nothing in the world matches such peace and joy. So then the question is, how is it possible for the Lord Jesus to minister before the Father on our behalf and do such an incredible work? How can he do that? According to Hebrews chapters 9 and 10, Christ willingly shed his lifeblood. And through his one sacrifice, in the words of Hebrews, he made holy forever those who have been made holy. That is... Through Christ's willing obedience, the Lord Jesus as your great high priest is truly qualified not only to save you, which he has done, but to sanctify you through and through. The priests in Moses' day were no way qualified or capable of ministering or mediating such blessings. But not so the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He is a priest forever. He lives in the power of an endless and indestructible life. He gave up his lifeblood on the cross and he tore down forever the curtain that separated between us and God. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. To do what? To become your great high priest. He who lives in the power of an indestructible life lives to always intercede before the Father on your behalf. More than this, through the power of Christ's lifeblood, he's making real everything he achieved for you through his life, death and resurrection. He's making your heart tender. He's renewing your mind. He's removing your sins and he's dwelling within you. My brothers and sisters, it is this vision of the exalted Christ that we need to know and understand and believe more fully because there is your peace, there is your joy, and there is your certain hope. Such a vision of Christ ought to humble us today. When I see Christ in this way, it exposes my my need to live every day and every moment of every day resting, abiding and pouring out my heart to the Lord Jesus. This vision leads me to look to him and him alone, to fulfilling me, the new covenant promises of purity, holiness and fellowship with God. Let me share with you this morning, very briefly, a prayer I pray, one of my prayers I pray each week and it goes like this. Lord Jesus, all praise to you, you are my great high priest. I cannot help but give you the honour for everything you are and everything you've done for me. Lord, please this day, would you make real for me more deeply everything you've achieved through your life, death and resurrection. Lord, I pray this that I'll bear your likeness and glory more fully. Why do I pray that prayer? Well, in the first instance, because I desperately need that prayer answered because I'm a broken, sinful man. But also I know that when I pray that which accords to his will, he's promised to answer. Friends, the Lord Jesus lives in that power of an indestructible life. Come to him in humility, in confidence, in faith. He is your great high priest ministering before you always. Now this vision in Revelation not only gives us a wonderful vision of Christ as our great high priest, but it also reveals Christ Jesus in the splendour of his infinite glory. In verses 14-15 we see Christ with hair like snow, eyes like flames of fire, feet like burnished bronze, and the voice like the roar of many waters. Now you might be asking this morning, Why does John say it's like this? Well, quite frankly, because he has no reference point to attach to the vision he's seen. It's like he can't compare this vision of Christ to anything he knows. He's got to say it's like this. What we've got to remember in Revelation, John is being revealed heavenly realities, there's nothing on earth that you can compare to make a direct comparison, at least. It would be like trying to explain the colour red to somebody who's colorblind. blind. See, a person who's colorblind has no point of reference to understand colour. So when Jesus sees the things of heaven, he has no earthly reference point to, to describe what he's seeing. So he has to say, it's like this. It's not as if when we get to heaven... Fire is going to be coming out of Jesus' eyes. But what these visions are raising for us is a vision that places Christ as Almighty God. The white hair tells us he's the Ancient of Days. Such a vision is reflecting that what we read about God in the book of Daniel is true for the Lord Jesus Christ. The terms that John uses are reserved for God alone and purposely because this is who Christ is. That his eyes blaze like fire tells us that while Christ might be the ancient of days, there's nothing wrong with his eyesight. He sees all things with a sharpness of perception. That his feet is light burnished bronze it symbolises strength and power. That his voice is like the roar of rushing waters. is telling us that his power is inescapable. Uh, in Launceston we have the gorge that you may have visited and when that gorge is in flood the waters roar through the gorge. Who can tell the roaring, rushing waters to quieten down? So it is with Christ. Friends, such a vision of Christ to the persecuted church brings great comfort, doesn't it? Because although they may be oppressed for a time, in the end they are under the care of the almighty Lord. In Christ, our sisters and brothers in North Korea, Somalia and the Middle East are seemingly in a position of weakness but they will prevail. How can they not? Look who's on their side. On the other hand, the church who is disobedient, that is a loveless church, an unbelieving church, a church that tolerates evil or error, a church that is full of pride, such a vision of God in these verses ought to bring them to their senses and wake them up. This is the point of the image of a double-edged sword coming out of Christ's mouth. In scripture, the double-edged sword is synonymous with a sword of judgment. And what John is seeing here is a vision that he's telling us is that God not only created this world by his word, but he would judge the world by his word. He would judge his people by his word. Friends, Christ measures our lives against his word. In fact, we'll come to this later on in November, but in in Revelation chapter 2 to the church of Pergamon, God calls the church to repent or he'll fight against them with the sword of his mouth. That's the imagery we're being given here. So that Christ is not only our great high priest, he's not only the ancient of days, God himself in all his glory, he's our judge and he's the judge of the world. We also told that in his right hand are seven stars, and according to verse twenty, they are the seven churches. And and, and um, uh, sorry, according to verse twenty, they are, are the uh, the angels of the seven churches. Um, I don't have time to explain this, but there is a spiritual realm that we do not see. There are angels, and there are demons. God's angels are ministering spirits. And praise Him that He sends His angels to help the church. But we are, it's like in Revelation, the curtain of reality is being drawn back a bit, and we are seen that behind what we see in our world is a real spiritual world. And God is there, ministering to His church with His angels. Lastly, we see that Jesus is described as having a face that is as bright as the sun in full strength. And, and quite frankly, this is telling us that you cannot domesticate God. You cannot look into the sun because it's too bright. That's true. No one can look into Jesus and plumb all his depths and come away saying, I've worked Jesus out. My sisters and brothers, here before us, again, is the most sublime and glorious vision of the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one who is amongst you, amongst us. The persecuted church, the growing church and the disobedient church, we all need to have an ever-deepening knowledge and faith in this, the the exalted Lord Jesus. So if today, if you are suffering a broken heart, If you are suffering a broken body or you are suffering a broken mind, then meditate on this glorious vision of Christ. He knows what you're going through. He cares for you so much. He is constantly interceding before the Father on your behalf. He will lead you through your brokenness. If today you are struggling with sin, you are carrying the the guilt for awful things you have done or you feel overwhelmed by shame, as we all do, come and meditate on this vision of Christ. While the sacrifices in the Old Testament were given to remind God's people of their sin, the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ was made so that he would remember sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, Psalm 103. My sisters and brothers, keep resting your faith in Jesus. Trust him to be your great high priest who puts away your sin from the presence of the Father. He takes your sin away from the presence of the Father. He gives you a new heart to make you tender to obey God. So, in your struggle against sin, keep resting your faith in Christ, keep coming to Him, you will overcome in Him. And if today you struggle with the state of a church, the corruption of institutions, the ever increasing godlessness of governments, meditate on this vision of Christ. God will prevail. (laughs) How can He not? and so too will all those who follow him. Do not fear, do not doubt. Rest and abide in the one who is almighty to save and one day will make all things new. Let me lead you in prayer. Oh, glorious Lord Jesus, what can we say today but all praise to you? We truly pray May the Father's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As you are exalted and loved and glorified and honoured, as you are worshipped and obeyed and trusted and exalted, as you are lifted high and glorified in heaven, may this be true on earth. And Heavenly Father, may this be true in our lives today. But we pray in your mercy Would you graciously deepen our knowledge of your glorious and exalted Son? Oh, grant to us that faith, that certainty of things unseen and that surety of things hoped for to ever deepen, that you, by the power of your Spirit, may produce in us that fruit of righteousness and holiness that bears your likeness and brings you glory. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.